Welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. Philbert's banana soda will change your life. Okay. That's what I'm drinking for the podcast. Okay. Sure, some podcasts wait to get paid to mention specific products on air, not us. <laughs> They're chumps. They don't believe in the courage of their convictions. I mean, this is this will open up your mind. Yeah. Okay, for that kind of heavy talk. Also joining us, a man currently opening up his mind via gorging himself on candy corn, a mere weeks after major oral surgery. That's right. Brewer. That's right. That's how I do. Also joining us in making his time for a return to the podcast, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Nooker, Tennessee, Lee Younger. Woo! Yay! Well, hold on. What's all that applause no, about? Lee, I listened Lee, to the be last be more triumphant. One. I listened to the last one. And Glenn uh-huh. could not get off of the subject of me being a factor in this fast enough. So I don't know where this applause is coming from. I am um, glad you're back, Lee. I have no memory of that. Um, <laughs> I think I was... Uh, no one loves and respects Lee Younger more than I do. Oh, That's wow. about <laughs> as far as we can push that. I will, I'm going to give you a little peek behind the curtain so we can change subjects very quickly and abruptly. Um, to the way Glenn tends to comport himself, we all had up here in Chicago had to go to a uh, Cook County Jail training seminar yes, right. last week. It is right. mandatory, which is the only reason we were there. Right, and uh, so it's over. And some of the, the ladies on our staff, as they want to do, thought they would continue to uh, fellowship and talk some things over and by a text message. Well, first in in person, right, sure. stay, still standing in the the prison gym. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I looked up, and it occurred to me that I'm not riding with any of these these ladies because I'm not married to them, unlike my uh, my cohorts here. So I just left. Yeah, right. Did, as they call it, the old Irish goodbye without yep. saying anything to anyone, <laughs> just immediately headed for the nearest exit as quick as I could. <laughs> About 10 minutes later, there's a group text that we're all, all of our staff people are on, and Glenn's wife, Jane, sends a text that says, I think we forgot Matt, to which I was able to respond very quickly. No, he didn't forget me. I'm already halfway home. Yeah, that's right. but Glenn, it was a very clear as much disappointment as you could send through text message. After I replied, said, "Oh, I thought we were. I thought we got to exercise and our quote slow man left behind." <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so all that to say, it's not just on the podcast. Sure, you know. And just a quick note: uh, Canon Corn gives you energy, y'all. That can't be true. Okay. I'm hopped up on candy corns right now. Sure. I've never felt better. That's See, great. here's the thing. There's even I'm more sure beef. Last. There's even more beef on this because as we opened up the Skype call to start the show, Glenn shows me the bowl of candy corn and says, right. Would you like some candy corn, Lee? Yeah. Right. Right. Which I don't know. I mean, I'm not. Uh, technology's moving so fast. Glenn maybe doesn't you can have a transmit. firm grasp of how FaceTime works. Yeah, maybe you can transmit candy corn over over these Apple products. I don't really know how all that works yet, but my understanding was that I was being offered candy corn in vain. Yeah. Well, I I asked you if you wanted any candy corn. I I did not ask you if you wanted any of this candy corn. <laughs> yes. It's more of just a conversation starter. That's right. Exactly right. Candy corn's tearing this podcast apart, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I think, again, it does come down to technology. I think Glenn thinks he can PayPal Lee some candy corn. Sure. Don't Venmo make it. me choose between all of you and candy corn right now. Yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't dream of it. Okay. 
But we we don't have time to get into too much more candy corn because there's an emergency Ooh. pressing wow. a as our one of our favorite kinds. Yeah, just mine precious. Sure. I'm, no, really, no. I'm really into these candy corn. Yeah, people couldn't see the creepy face Glenn was making as he was cradling the bowl of candy corn to his bosom. They just, heard him, they just heard him slamming plastic against metal into a microphone. Yeah. But we have one of our, our favorite kind of emergency. This is a user-generated emergency. Ooh. Ooh. Our friend, Nicole Rondazzo on Twitter, uh, made a disturbing discovery. Oh. Felt the need to share it with all of us via the social medias. Okay. And that was... That a uh, an actor she likes from a show she likes is in the mega church movie. Ooh. Oh, yeah, we yeah. talked a few episodes ago about the resurrection of Gavin Stone, and um, you know when, when you when you pitch a Christian movie, there's people you expect to to find that are in it. Right. Your Kirk's Cameron. Yes. Your Kevin Sorbo. Right. Melissa Joan Hart. These type of people who right. this is kind of their niche now. Right. But the advantage is we don't really like any of those people. Yes, that is true. I always have a soft spot for TV's Hercules myself, but yeah. But the thing about this is, one of the things with about the... Do, uh, do you really have a soft spot? really. Okay. The resurrection of Gavin... I'm just trying to be nice. No, I'm trying to put a public face on the awful things you say. Is sure, I understand. Role? That makes sense. Um, one of the things about the resurrection of Gavin Stone, a vertical church film's production, <laughs> is that uh, they apparently went out and got some some actors who, if they're not... We we don't know if they're Christian or not in right. their own personal lives, but that's certainly not their gig. Right. right. And uh, Nicole, as the rest of us were, were very disturbed to find this out. We may have soothed all of ourselves on Twitter by uh, an hour worth exchange of Scrubs gifts. Right. Which is standard. That's right. how you do. That's how you do. But in order, looking at turning this negative into a positive, yeah. does this open up an entire new world? For our Christian movie pitches. Okay. Because we've done a lot of Christian movie pitching. We're, we're going to get one of these made. We're going to need it green lit. Yeah. But the thing is, I think we've been living in the creative constraints of uh, what we thought was possible in a Christian movie. Right. Meaning, Kirk Cameron has to be involved somehow. Right. <laughs> right. He and can just walk through the background or something, right. but you're going to have to have a It's a like Kirk a Stanley cameo. The exactly. arc is he begins the story without a sweater. Right. But then later uh-huh. in the denouement, uh-huh. he has a sweater. Well, I'd, that I'd, sweater. I'd love to pitch that, uh, Jed, but that would be copyright infringement because <laughs> they already made <laughs> that. That literally movie, happened. Where Chick-fil-A and a sweater were the indications <laughs> that someone had accepted Jesus into their heart. It's an outward sign of an inward change. <laughs> exactly right. Okay. But again, I think now... Do we have a whole new world open to us? Apparently, yeah. if you if you have a little bit of budget to work with, you just hire an actor. They right. don't care if it's a Christian movie; they're actors. They got to get right. a paycheck. That's sure. that's cool. That's what they do. But here's what I'm wondering, and I think I can get the brain trust here to help me. Can we take some other actors who are very popular <laughs> and put them in our Christian movie pitches? Definitely, definitely. Actors who have a certain kind of uh, milieu that they tend to work in that we can put a little Christian on top of that, and now we got a product. I've yeah. got our first one. Hit me. Vin Diesel. Oh, yeah. Title, The Faith and the Furious. I like it. Love that. Like yes. It. The Faith and the Furious. Well, That's I also right. would, and this will be a very specific joke for some of the listeners of this podcast, but so uh, Vin Diesel is in the the, the series of movies called Triple X mm-hmm. about the, you know, the assassin right. and whatnot. Vin Diesel as Tom Job in Triple C. Yes. Wow. wow. Uh, Tom is Lee's boss. Triple C is Crash Community Church. Inside joke. If you didn't get it, I'm sorry. I wow. appreciate it. Sequel. Yeah. Tooth Faithful. 
too furious. Dude, <laughs> fist pound, boom, fist pound. that just happened. Oh, yeah, this is very with, good. Like, with, like, the letter two. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, exactly yeah. Right. that's right. Oh, so yeah, here's what I'm thinking. You guys can throw it back if you, if you don't like it. I'm thinking um, a movie starring Mickey Rourke. Okay. Mm. Contending oh. for the faith. And yeah, just I like that. his scary face right there on the front. Right. Like that's good. Just... Well, you could also do Mickey Rourke in The Apologist. Yes! It's Darren Aronofsky. It's, he doesn't know if he can do it anymore, man. Like, right, that's right. This that's world right. Has this world really passed him by? He's and... just being pummeled by apology as That's right. Yeah, yeah, it's good. That's well, real hardcore contender well, for the I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going to throw out my favorite poster, Thanks. Sir Jason Statham. Yes. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Say what? Do you know what I mean? That he, uh, uh, Kevin Pollack has pointed this out. He says these words faster than any human being. Do you know what I mean? 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 So, any other bits of other more popular podcasters you'd like to do? Here's what I'm saying is, you know, Mark Maron said something once. It was real funny. He probably just listen to his show. There's no reason to be here. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. This guy can do anything. Yes, he's got he range. He's got range. I'm talking about Jason Statham. Okay, he's the Apostle Paul. Okay, okay, okay. But it's set in like a gritty part of London. Okay, you know what I mean. And he uh, has to. Uh, he he kills all the Romans. Yes, he shoots them with a gun. Yes, there's a lot of a lot of histor- anachronisms going on here, but I think Statham can pull it off. Yeah, yeah. So that's. Uh, That'd be a movie I'd see. Yeah. You know? I like that. I think it's very, very good. Or Statham. Yes. Right? yes. No. Idris Elba. Okay. The finest actor now of our generation. Battles atheists from outer space. Yes. Wow, dude. Spaceists. Space theists. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they come from outer space and they don't, they're, they're atheists. Yeah, exactly right. They're very secular. You would think they're like a secular humanist, yeah, but they're secular alienists. Exactly right. Because they ain't human. Well, uh, you don't got humans from outer space. Mm-hmm. That's alien. You mm-hmm. understand what I'm saying? They're coming in, and they're. You think maybe they got an alien god? No, they, no, they don't, none. They don't believe in God. Yeah. So Idris Elba has got to shoot them with a laser gun. Exactly right. Till they believe in Jesus. Yeah, I love it. I think it's great. I, and I want to stay on that. I think you're. I think Idris Elba is a fantastic choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we live in a sane world, it's going to be James Bond at some point. We can get on the ground floor. Heck yeah! So here's what I'm saying: there, we can marry that to. There's been, you know, the big spate. The historical films are huge, biblical epics, right? Huge. Yes. Right. So you've got your Noah, you right. go all the back to Anthony kind of Cleopatra stuff, right? But then you know your your historicals, your Twelve Years a Slave, your Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Right. Mm-hmm. People right. love right. history. Yeah. People love a nice biopic. Right. Idris Elba has already been in a very successful television series called Luther. That's actually true. Yes. I'm talking about it. Idris Elba as Martin Luther in yeah. Luther, the Martin Luther story. Yes. That's a go picture. Wow. Does does he have a German accent? He does now. For like the first five minutes. <laughs> right, and then kind of... And then just back it. into his accent. Because y- you hire him, you want the accent. Right. Okay. All right. This is what I'm saying. Because we've been building here. Yeah. Sure. Jeff Goldblum. Yes. Nice. <laughs> Plays Moses, the zombie killer. Wow. <laughs> I can dig that. He's Moses. 
He's Jeff Goldblum. Right. Killing zombies. Yeah, that's good. That's good. He doesn't have like a machine gun either. Okay, what is that? It was a biblical time. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So he's got like a, 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 like a staff. Okay, that's good. Yeah, he's got to whack him on the head. Right, right. Something like that. Maybe stone tablets he can hit people with. Okay. Yeah. See, now it's already, we're percolating. Yeah, now. I'm liking this. It's, can, we, can we just convince Sam Jackson to just go ahead and play Jesus in a whole just Sam Jackson, like $2,000 suit right. version of like the Gospel of Mark with Samuel L. Jackson? Yeah. I think so. Now, it would, it, I think contractually we'd have to agree to let him use the queen mother of all cuss words probably sure and he's got to have the mutton chops that's in the, the writer yeah oh yeah yeah you got to you got to let him have the mutton chops and and use the mf word but yeah. but that wouldn't detract from it for me yeah sure I'm sure i'm a certain type of dude hey but, you, you know. know i mean no i think it's i think it's all quite good i think you know there's some I'm wondering what else we can do here. Uh, so I've, I've noticed, and we, we want to be inclusive on this podcast. We don't want to we don't want to fall into the traps that Hollywood currently does, right? Which is, of course, um, kind of massively underrepresenting and underpaying their actresses, right? Yes. Oh, we right. we have not mentioned a female actor yet, to right? Host one of these movies. I think we should address that. Um, I think I think we all love Melissa McCarthy. Yep, totally. Here's what I'm saying. This is this is going to get scripturally tenuous. It's going to be one of those, it's going to be kind of a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Okay. Kind of, we all know what happened in this part of the story, but this is a characters in the story. This is the other thing. Right. Okay. So we're all aware of, you know, Mary and the ladies run to the tomb and right. he's risen. He's not there. Right. But most Carthy, very talented comedic actress. Right. I think we do a whole movie of that scene, but very slapsticky. Yes. Okay. She's running and she's knocking <laughs> things over and it's the wrong tomb. And then she, well, you know, the angel woman, why are you crying? Right. But instead of like having a very weepy, sincere moment with Jesus, it's big, big reaction. And she, she stumbles back and there's another open grave that she falls into. Right, right, and it's just right. a real kind of 90 minute singular one shot slap 16. Right. With Melissa okay. McCarthy. Okay, this is a horrible idea, but... Yeah, I, I, I can I'm waiting it, for somebody else to say something. I can make it great. Okay. In between the graves as she's running around... Yes. You play the Benny Hill Yakety Sax. Yes, you know, yes, very good. And you, you double double the speed of it as she's like running extra fast in between... Oh, you're saying it's more of a... It's more of a Scooby-Doo thing. Yeah. Where she... <laughs> running past the door... Yeah, you know, what's well, you know, it's it's where where have they laid him? I will what is my lord? And when it's, you know, the risen Christ, when we're crying, right. instead of, you know, big sweeping music and it's it's scooping just out g- 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 ghosts. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, that's, good. that's, that's good. right. <laughs> title, working title, where's my Jesus? I like that. I like that's that sharp. a lot. That's yeah. sharp. Yeah. I think and this is this we're leaving the, the biblical text behind, but I think it's it'd be wrong not to take advantage of uh, a, a treasure while we have her. I'm talking about Dame Maggie Smith. Yeah, 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 of course. As the pastor's wife. Yes. Oh, I would watch the heck out of that movie. And just <laughs> the she has to keep it inside, but it's you know it's a sleepy you know English countryside town, right? And all the stupid crap that these church people do. Could could and, she just still be the grandmother from Downton? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the character. Dude, I will pay any you know, amount of it's, money. It's the, to see it's that movie. The the pastor comes home and says, you know. 
so brother so-and-so we were trying to have a meeting but he kept saying the thing and then just maggie smith withers this person. yes just yes maggie smith ethering church people yeah for Dude, 90 straight minutes i would watch that movie yeah and pay for it yeah you've been damned <laughs> <laughs> that's possibly a great working title right there. you've been damed yeah well i i think we solved it guys i, I think, think yeah. we did i'm very we're pleased. one step closer to getting this whole production element off the ground yeah oh, i can feel it yeah so what so, are we gonna wear the oscars y'all that's the big question that's uh well we, stone cumberbund <laughs> nice yeah. is he the guy who's playing dr strange yes yes he is I like him. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's very okay. good. Okay. So, well, we, we certainly thank Nicole for uh, sending us the news. We think we we think we've really hit a new step. Um, we'll be, of course be sending you legal papers to sign indicating that you did not contribute to us hitting a new step with the. <laughs> right, that's right. That's right. I can do that. But for now, we can easily declare emergency off. Emergency off. All right, we're going to transfer into the bridge box plug and. There's no way to do it from what we just did, but, you know. Bridgebox! Sure, if you enjoy our creative our creative mind, here's the thing. You just saw a real-time brain, uh, kind of brainstorming and pitching that we do. Yep. If you want to know what it looks like when it has a couple of months to cook, <laughs> and we yeah. have to run these ideas past uh, wives and friends and people who aren't us. Yeah. Right. And the civilizing influence that can have, yeah. what you get is Bridgebox. Yes. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, you get uh, in your inbox every month sermons and songs and Bible studies and devotionals and lots of good stuff based around a topic. We're still rounding out the month of October here where the topic was how can I change the world? A lot of good stuff on that. Lots of good stuff on topics that refer to your life every month in Bridgebox for only $8 a month. And the best part of all is all that money goes directly to the work we're doing here in Chicago. You can sign up at missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. All right, we're moving to our first question here. If you have a question for us, you can hang out with us all the way to the end, and I'll give you some ways to get in touch with us. Our first question comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it says, All humans have basic physiological needs. When we get hungry, we can eat. When we get sleepy, we can sleep. When we get thirsty, we can drink. Then why is it that when we need our sexual needs met, we can't go have sex or masturbate? Why is that such a taboo thing if it is only to meet a basic physiological need? I'm going to throw it to Lee, but first, I need everyone to recognize that I pronounce the word physiological correct twice. It's very impressive. Nice Three times now. Thank you very much. Lee, start us off. Uh, hey, this is a great question. And, um, and you, know, it, you know, really cool to go ahead and ask this because I think uh, the truth is that so many of us have thought stuff like this all the time. And so, um, like, what is the deal? Why is this uh, such a different deal? And I think the place that I would want to start out on this is that we need to parse out the difference between what what makes something taboo and what makes something either wrong or right or healthy or unhealthy or righteous or unrighteous. Those are two completely different things. And I think you're absolutely right to, to point out the fact that for a lot of folks and in a lot of situations, sexual stuff for Christians has just become completely taboo. Um, and what we mean by that is it's, it's the unmentionable, don't talk about it, it's, it's dirty or it's wrong, and we're not going to mention the fact that people have sexual desires or that we have sexual parts or we have I- any kind of sexual anything. And, that's, and, and so if you mention it or think about it or talk about it, that's something being taboo. But the, the, the opposite of that isn't just to say, well, because this is taboo, then obviously the best way to deal with it is just to do whatever you want. Because <clears throat> there's actually a different question in here, which is, 
Like the the reason that so many people are you know have made this thing taboo in the church is that they're freaked out by sex. Um, yeah, they're they're correct. afraid of it. They um, they're they're it's a it is a it's a it's a powerful thing. It's something that that is a you know that makes a you know a, a good committed you know a relationship before God makes it deeper, sweeter. You know, there's there's intimacy involved. There's all this kind of stuff, and it has the power to really really wreck some relationships. And so it makes people afraid. And so within the church, it's become this big taboo thing a lot of times where it's like, it's the worst thing ever and don't do it or talk about it or think about it or anything like that. And that's, and so it's taboo and we should call that out because God has made sex and he is pro sex. He, this was his idea. And and the thing about God is that for him, sex is not taboo. It's never taboo. In fact, God has a whole book in the Bible about it. The thing for God is it's either going to be healthy or unhealthy. It's either going to be in a situation that is going to give your life something enrichment, something enriching and deep and good, or it's going to take something away from your life because it's less than what it could be or what God intended it to be. And so I think the question that we want to ask on this is, um, and I think you start in a really good and honest place, and I think that's awesome because I think a lot of people, like I said, have, have thought about the same kind of question is not... How can we just get sex out of being a taboo? But how can I have the most fulfilling and best sex life possible for me? Um, And I think that so many times we are not willing to ask that question. What we want to do is just jump in and take whatever we think is going to work. And I think that's the way most people handle their sexual life is... I'm just going to take what I can get, take what I can get my hands on and do as much as do what I can to make myself, you know, to, to make this feel like it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm there. I'm getting what I want. I'm getting this need met or whatever it is. And really there's this whole other layer of this. There's this whole other level of what if God actually wants me to have a fulfilling and an awesome and a sweet sex life, life of intimacy and stuff like that. And what if I took that desire, that need, and those questions straight to him and figured out how can I make this as good, as healthy, and as righteous as it can be? And what if God's answer on that is, I'm so glad you're asking that. I want the same thing for you. I think that's the part that we're missing on this, is the idea that God wants a healthy, fulfilling, satisfying sex life for us more than we want it for ourselves. And so we get caught up in mixing up the idea of something being taboo and something being wrong or unhealthy. And what we want to do is we want to get rid of the taboo stuff and then just start to look for working with God on, okay, what is the healthy and satisfying thing that you have for me? And how can I start working towards that today by going on dates, by meeting people, by starting to have a a relationship that it's eventually going to lead me to this place for this thing that God actually does want for me? That's really a fantastic place to start, and I really like what Lee's saying there about we're not the looking at this by as when as you've often said, kind of how bad can this be before its problem is kind of a flip of looking at how good this can be. Mm-hmm. But I think that speaks to something our uh, maybe a fundamental misunderstanding our question asker has, which is that sex isn't really a physiological need in the way right. that food, shelter, and water are. Because yeah, despite the way you may feel. Uh, probably teenage or early 20s listener, you won't actually die (laughs) if you do not scratch this. But I think that speaks to So this isn't like something we need to uh, just 
scratch the itch and get it addressed. Mm. And this is something we can move on to being a big positive and something good. Right. But I think that comes with uh, not necessarily looking at it as a need, maybe more of, I don't know, what's the word you would put to it? Well, I would say it was, it's certainly uh, at times an overwhelming desire. There we go. So, something that you, you really uh, uh, feel like you want very, very badly. Uh, the truth is, and, and we'll keep this PG-13 and, and, and not go into too much uh, gory detail, but is, generally speaking, uh, uh, pretty much all human beings experience sexual arousal during their sleep. Yeah. Uh, and uh, therefore, your, your body is, in a sense, uh, physically and sexually active with or without you, kind yeah. of a thing. So if there was a, a, a if if we could express that as a need, our body will take care of that need in a way that we're not conscious of. Uh, now that doesn't do you any good if you if you are if you don't if you're not conscious of that if you're not aware of that when it happens. It's sort of like a Zen riddle: if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, if you are aroused in the you know we can't it, remember it. It's like a tree. Yeah. No. And it falls, but uh, you move know. On. All right, so I move on from that. But here, here's what I'm saying: is, uh, it, it, interestingly enough, uh, we would think of physical intimacy as as less of a need because we 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 may mm. not put it that put it as much of a burning desire as as sex itself. But the truth is, uh, people who study infant mortality rates are aware that. If infants are not picked up and held a certain amount at a certain critical stage in their development, their infant mortality rate shoots up right. uh, tremendously. Uh, we do have a need for that uh, intimacy and affection that we share with other people. And as, as Lee is pointing out, and rightly so, I think that ought to be more of the focus of developing healthy relationships with members of the opposite sex where we can have kissing and hugging and holding hands and all of that and sharing emotional intimacy off of that as well. I think if there is uh, something that's closer to a need in, in all of it, I would say it would be that sense of connection, that sense of intimacy. Uh, but uh, the other element of this is we don't want to separate out sex as a physiological thing from the... Uh, emotional and psychological impact that sex has, because mm -hmm. those two are linked together. We mm -hmm. we really want, as as a species, we really want to say, hey, it's just like eating a nice piece of pie. Right. And what's the difference? And it's what it, we just moralize about this, and we just make it up. And you try and go down that direction. I remember reading a, a biography of a of of a guy who's an activist in the '60s, and he talked about how he joined this hippie commune. And like nobody, it's just free love. It, yeah, polyamorous, everybody with everybody, kind of a thing. And he described how badly he wanted that to work. Yeah, and how it did not in any way work for anyone there at all. And they all hated it. They all wanted to kill each other. Well, so uh, over and over again, we discovered that that sexual relationships do have an emotional component. That's what makes them great. That's what make that's right. that's part of the. The, the thing that makes uh, sex good is it's not just an itch that you scratch. There is an emotional component. You don't want to divorce that out. What you do want to do is to find that emotional component first, to have that intimacy with someone so that when the sex enters that picture, now it's kind of icing on the cake. I think it's absolutely right. It's a really good point you bring up there, particularly at the end of there's definitely a, a temptation to say, well, everything about how sex is this 
specifically kind of emotional and physical thing is wrong. I think part of the reason people fall into that is because certain groups of people, maybe that we rail against in this podcast all the time, have taken that to a comical, insane extreme. So it's it would make sense to, as you're saying, saying, well, these people who are so uptight and ruining everyone's lives about this and being super judgmental, their fundamental assumption is wrong and invalid right. argument. Right. And Jed, maybe you can speak to this when it's probably a lot, it's not even a lot close to the truth. It just is the truth to say the fundamental kernel of an idea they have is closer to right than wrong. Yeah. It's the way they handle it. That's, that's super uncool, but that doesn't mean we can just go entirely the other way and have that work either. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the difference between uh, getting hungry and eating and getting thirsty and having some water and whatnot and sex is that um, the Bible talks about lust being a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and lust is all of the sexual thoughts that you have. It's, it's actually kind of along the lines of what Glenn's talking about. It's, it's the stuff that's not physical in a weird way that's actually uh, kind of at issue. Right. So, uh, what do you what do you do with that? And if we're going to be honest, um, <laughs> if you've done much youth ministry, you've you've heard guys ask, "Now, what if I masturbate while thinking about like fruit or something?" <laughs> I mean, is that you know uh, you you just combined eating healthy and lust <laughs> into one disgusting urge? That's what you've done, Caligula. <laughs> So, you know, you got, you know, you got a system, you got an idea, I appreciate it here. But I think here's the real thing is, and I, and I think, I think this is where we need to land is this is super, super difficult and no one is willing to just admit that to you. Yes. And I want you to hear all of us admit that to you right now. This is super difficult. There, there aren't a lot of easy answers. Uh, Part of that's because we live in a fallen world. Mm -hmm. And so we're all trying to reconcile having desires and not sure how to fulfill any of them in a godly way because we live in a fallen world. Part of it is you live in a world where you reach some degree of sexual maturity when you're about 14 years old and the average marriage age in the United States anyway is 28. Yes. And thank you for pointing that out because I think that's a big component to this. Yeah. So we've, you know, um, uh, I'm not a historian, but my understanding is that uh, in earlier years, people got married a bit earlier than that. Yes. Uh, Yes. In some cases, a lot earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to the point where around the time that you were, you know, going through puberty, you were also in the process of getting married. Right. right. Uh, you know, if you are having sexual desires and you're 15 and you're not going to get married for another 13 years, that's a terrifying prospect. Yeah. And what are we what are we going to do with and that? And it's maybe not entirely healthy. And it's maybe not entirely healthy. So I think we want to do at least uh, two things on that. The, the first thing that we want to do is we want to admit this is really difficult and really sucks. And, and maybe a lot of people in Christianity are not willing to cop to that, which they should, because you, you deserve to have people shoot you straight. But the other thing that we really need to do is we need to go to the Lord and ask, do you understand what I'm dealing with? Exactly. Um, and, and what we find when we do that is God totally understands. In fact, that's a promise of Scripture. It says we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize, but rather we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. So therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence in order to find help in our hour of need. And I think that's actually a big part of of what you need to do. And it's what God wants for you is for this to be a journey that you go on together. Mm -hmm. It's weird to say it. God doesn't want to be left out of your sex life. Um, Even a lot of Christians that are trying to do sex the right way. They're still trying to leave God out of the sex life. 
They're mm. trying to get the rules and everything, and then now I will go do this on my own. Mm. Anything where we're trying to do a, a section of life on our own, we're, we're not doing what God wants. Right, so, right. you know, include God in the struggle. Include him the whole time. You'll get where you're going. I think it's really a fantastic way to put that. And again, we uh, we don't we're never going to look down on you when we write a question into the show. This seems a little basic, and uh, it, it also seems like you're trying to get away with something, dear friend who wrote this question in. Sure, and we can all uh, reply. We can all uh, relate to that. There's no right. problem with that. But again, as all these guys are saying, you um, it and we talked about this on the show before. It doesn't do any good to um, roll too far with these things that are. Um, to kind of go too far with these things are being overblown, but it mm-hmm. also doesn't go to, uh, this is a, a Glenn idea. The opposite of a bad idea is another bad idea. It doesn't mm-hmm. go, it doesn't really help us to say, well, these people who are weirdos doing this, I'll do uh, the exact opposite of that and everything mm-hmm. because you're still letting weirdos set the agenda for your That's life. Right. That's right. So as all these guys are saying, it's much easier to uh, get directly from the Lord and from what scripture actually says, not from what, uh, crazy people think it says, and from older people in your life who have kind of marriages and lives you want. That's a much better way to get where you're going than to kind of try to either ride or buck the trends you see going mm-hmm. on in kind of culture stuff. Mm-hmm. So remember, our next question here comes into our Tumblr box, and it says, Hey, guys, I have a quick question. What do you think about Christians who openly talk about sin and being, quote-unquote, bad Christians in a way that almost seems boastful? I know we're all sinners, but I just don't know. I don't have a problem with it. I'm just confused on whether or not there's a line where it becomes a bit much to almost brag about your sin. Glenn, can you start us off on this one? Yeah, for sure. I would say that uh, it's it's certainly uh, uh, better and healthier to talk about being a bad Christian than it is to tell everyone that you're a fantastic Christian. That's uh, you're 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 definitely in dangerous territory with that. But I think if we're if we're reading your perspective on this correctly, I think there is a bit of discomfort that we have with an honest depiction of yeah. I actually sin. You know, there's definitely that. I think there's also a discomfort, rightfully, with a certain humble brag element yeah. of <laughs> I, I may be a Christian musician and blogger, but I'm Instagramming my glass of whiskey because right, I'm so yes. free in Christ, which yeah. give us all a break. Yeah, that's right. And there is a certain amount of that that's out there of just— Which is just as much artifice as look at how straight and churchy I am. Exactly right, yes. And and some of it is baiting those fundamentalist people into— a. a Two people who don't get it arguing with each other on the internet, which is you know most of what the internet is. Along sure, with. it's a great way to spend a life. Yeah, that's it's it's just that and porn is my understanding of what's on the internet. So, you know the no, the, there's I, gambling too. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I left that out. So you know, I think there's a, a, a it's it's far far better for us to be honest about the fact that we still sin. Uh, it's. I think the important thing is that you call a sin a sin while you're admitting to that. You know, if you're if you're saying I'm drinking whiskey and it's okay, well, if it's okay, then don't don't rub my nose in it. And also, don't the the, the Bible actually talks very clearly about all these issues. Really, the Book of Corinthians is about. Uh, people who now would that be one Corinthians or two Corinthians? That's uh, it's it's all the Corinthians. Okay, yeah, both Corinthians, uh, the best Corinthians. Uh, the uh, tremendous, tremendous. But the the thing about uh, is they were kind of dealing with sexual stuff where they were kind of 
going wild and free with it because you know Jesus forgives everything and 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 Paul had to talk him down off the ledge on that. Free love, back to the hippie commune. That's right. But here's the thing is, uh, he's also uh, giving us a word of, yes, there are, th- you, you may be free, in the, in, to use Matt's example of drinking whiskey, you may be free to do that in the sense that not that may not be a sin for you, but there's somebody else who has an addiction to alcohol and that's a temptation for them. That's a stumbling block for them. That's making life a little less hard for them. The Bible says for us to not be a stumbling block to our brothers and sisters in that way. So we don't use our freedom to tear other people down. So uh, we do need to be careful with that. Um, uh, it, it, I think it really comes down to are you comfortable being a bad Christian? If you're, if you're saying out loud, I'm a bad Christian, but I'm working on that. That's a different message and a good message. I think that's actually the message we should uh, have out there is, is uh, I'm, I'm a work in progress. I'm near the beginning of the process. It's messy. It's going to take a while, and, and we're going to get where we're going. Uh, that will make certain people uncomfortable. Yeah. Certain people are, are pretending to be straight as hard as they can because they feel like they need to. And if you stop pretending— it kind of feels like you're tearing the whole process down, man, and you're scaring me and you're freaking me out. So, you know, uh, uh, in, in that case, it's a, a time for us to all be more authentic. But ultimately, this is about how driven you are to be more righteous as opposed to how driven you are right. to be less sinful. Uh, that's the, the that's sort of the dichotomy we really need to be looking at here. I think you're absolutely right, and this is also uh, your quarter listener, your quarterly reminder that when Glenn says pretend to be straight, he's using that in the inner city Chicago term of yes. straight meaning well behaved. Yep, has nothing to do with sexuality. Right. We just right. point that out occasionally. Hello, new listeners. There's a whole <laughs> vocabulary. You'll catch up. Uh, that's a lot of really great stuff. And Jed, I think a lot of what Glenn's pointing to there is was almost goes back to what we talked about the last question, where there's a thing that Christians have way overblown. And in this case, almost going the other way on that, if you don't go uh, too far with it, it could be a good thing. And that's uh, the idea of shame. Sure. Which is, uh, I think, part of what, as Glenn put it, freaks people out is uh, people who uh, admit that they do bad things and don't beat themselves up about it. So yeah. how are you holy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is that shame doesn't come from God. Like, that's not his deal. Mm, that's not in the Bible I've read, Jed. Yeah, it's... Uh, the Bible I've read was heavily edited by Wayne Grudem, but there's a lot of shame in there. So well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, this actually bears repeating because a lot of people are not clear on it. Shame does not come from God. Right. The end. Right. Uh, but there's a lot of shame in Christian culture. Right. Um, shame doesn't come from God, and it's a destructive thing. And, uh, but and, be- and maybe talk about how it's different from conviction. Sure, sure. Well, shame, both shame and conviction, in a sense, are statements about your identity. Shame right. says you're a worm. Right. Conviction says you're better than this. Yes. Both of them, in a sense, if we don't think about it too hard, are, well, I'm feeling bad about what I did, so isn't that roughly the same? It's actually not at all. They point in completely different directions. Uh, Shame says you're a worm. You will probably always be a worm. Mm -hmm. Maybe if you try really super hard, you could be less of a worm. Right. So you could be... But probably not. Probably not, though. But the the main thing is worm. That's really... I want to underscore that worm. Right. Whereas commission says, this is not the real you. 
Yeah, uh, right. the, the way you're living, it's beneath you. It doesn't fit you. It doesn't suit you. And it's not the real you. Yeah. You were, you were made for more than this. You deserve more than this. You are better than this. Let's, mm-hmm. let's take some different steps. Let's live a different kind of life. Those are completely different messages. Those are, those yeah. are actually antithetical messages, even though they both involve a, a sense of remorse over the thing that you've done. Well, the funny thing about it is that, um, Christians are meant to experience conviction, which comes from the Holy Spirit. They are not meant to take a hold of shame, which is a destructive thing and comes from our our flesh and the enemy. And so if we see people that are shameless, in other words, they just, they don't have a lot of shame in their life. It feels super weird because Christian culture is bathed in shame. Mm -hmm, In fact, one of the things uh, that, it, this is the idea that underscores so much of Christian culture is we know the least they could do is at least feel bad about it. Right. <laughs> right. Somebody I, cry about something. Somebody cry. Yeah. I, I look at all these godless heathens and the worst part isn't even the evil, awful, worm-like things they do. It's like they don't even care. Right. They're not yeah. even a little broken by their sins. See, I'm completely savaged by the weight of my transgressions. That's right. how you know I'm holy. Are you right. going to make any behavioral changes? To oh, no. Them? no. No, no. Not at all. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to cry. But that's, that's fun. That's the exception. You'll do the, the broken part, but not the changing part? Exactly right. Will you exactly. wave your hands up, or up high when you play the worship music? Yeah, you know I will, dude. Okay. Well, well it's the Christian version. You wave your hands like you care a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> wave your hands in the hair like you care. Yeah, like you care deeply. <laughs> but now, here's the funny thing, since we're talking about Christian culture, is... I wonder, I, I have a sense of the kind of scenarios you're talking about where people, you know, they're bragging about being bad Christians. Here, here's a guess. I don't think this is true in all cases, but I think it's true in a lot of them, is I think there are a certain number of people that sense what I'm about to tell you, which is that Christian culture is an unbelievably poisonous anti-Christian thing. <laughs> I want yeah. to repeat that. Yeah. Christian culture, as it exists in the suburbs of America, is opposed to the gospel. Right. It is unchristian. It is anti-Christian. It mm. is poisonous. It will ruin your life and break your brain. Mm. It has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm. The problem is um, very few people have figured that out. Right. And of the ones who sense it, very few are willing to say anything about it. Mm-hmm. Because if you start to say something about it, you become very unpopular very quickly. Yeah. Other people really don't like that. That's right. So I think part of what you get is people sensing, I think, you know, this culture is kind of jacked up. I don't think it actually has much to do with Jesus, and I don't really like it. And I'm not sure of a good way to speak to that. Right. So the best I've got is kind of overblowing the fact of, well, you know, I'm a sinner, so deal with that. Right, 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 right. So I think part of what you are maybe seeing is almost protest behavior Mm. that is protesting something that should be protested. Again, I want to underscore this. Christian culture, at least in the suburbs of America, is a poison. It's a jacked up thing. Right, so it's it's maybe saying, I'm one of those people that you would reject, that you're talking about not uh, uh, you're saying mean things about. Exactly I, I'm right. one of those. Exactly yeah. right. It's it's a very inarticulate way of taking a stand against Christian culture. It's not mm. an effective way to do right, it. Right, it's right. not an articulate way to do it. But I think that's the heart behind where some of that is coming from. The right way to look at that, and this goes to what Glenn is saying about um, being driven to be more righteous, is it actually doesn't do us a lot of good to focus on all the stuff that isn't the truth. 
Right. In other words, you know, Christian culture ain't it, man, which it's super not. I don't know if right. I've said that enough. Right. Instead, we need to focus on what is it. Mm-hmm. No one cares if you drink whiskey. Right. For the love of God, let it go, dude. Right. Right. Religion that God our Father accepts is this, looking after orphans and widows in their distress. Right. You could rage against Christian culture for the next hundred years and not help anyone in the process. Exactly right. But if you pick up your cross and start helping orphans and widows, it's going to change your whole Jamie Jam man. It's going to change your whole world, your whole life. And that's the actual answer moving forward is not getting caught in this back and forth that doesn't go anywhere, but instead living into the actual good news that Jesus has to offer the world. I think you're absolutely right. That's really good stuff. And Lee, I'd love to get you to kind of expand on that and look at it from another uh, another angle, which I think is very important here is, as Jed has just really laid out the posit- kind of more positive case for this, I think, and our friend in the question is concerned, they ask, you know, is there a point where it's a bit much? I think it's less the behaviors we talked about here, but there is something that is inherently sinful theologically in that sin is rebellion, yeah. So I think there are some folks in Christian stuff who, whether it's uh, their their char- their parents, their church when they were a kid, Christian culture as they understand it is just talking about here who they want to maintain that. Well, I'm we're rebelling, man. They I went to a Baptist church when they were a kid and they were super weird about drinking. So here's the picture of the whiskey and we're, we're we picked that as a goofy example because it's it's a pretty good one. But is can that I think that in and of itself can be problematic in ways Jed is talking about and some others when your whole thing is just rebelling against stuff that's not really what we're after here right yeah I think that um, and, and and I can mainly speak from some kind of personal experience on this that I grew up in kind of an uptight church and um, and I think that there was a there was a, a point in time where I realized um, I I have this kind of facade about my life that I have this kind of Christian life and really in like Jed's talking about like the Christian culture thing. And then on the inside, I was wrestling with the fact that like, I, I knew that there was a whole lot of fraud going on. Um, there was just a, there, there was a, there was a lot going on inside me that I wasn't being honest about and stuff like that. And, um, and the, the whole thing is just, a, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance there. And I remember just a, a real specific story. I was in like the seventh grade, I think. And we were in, it's like a couple of minivans of kids from the church going to do some stuff in the community or whatever. And on the way back towards the church, this dude had like a, he had like a Walkman, like a Sony Walkman, uh, which was like a portable tape player device with headphones. <laughs> um, and, um, and, and he had this, uh, he had, uh, uh, you know, an album by this, uh, hip hop artist called Easy E, right? And, and if you don't know Easy E, uh, <laughs> Lee, sure. if it ain't rough, it ain't me. I don't, I don't know if I've made that clear. <laughs> I'm telling you. So if you don't know Easy E, I mean, this was like some really, really, there's some really, really raunchy lyrics and stuff like that. Um, but we were, you know, we were kind of like passing the headphones back and forth. This dude, you know, in the, in the back of this minivan on our way back to the church after just doing this thing with the youth group. And I was having this kind of like existential crisis of like, I just did a thing with the youth group and now I'm listening to Easy E. And here's the deal. I'm loving this song like so <laughs> much. It's so raunchy and this beat is so great. And like... And I remember this thing where all of a sudden it was like, oh, now my new identity is like, yeah, I go to church and stuff, but I memorize like every Easy E song. And then I, because I learned something that night, which was like, I didn't explode and the hand of God did not come out of the heavens and send me to hell. 
And I had a huge misunderstanding of the gospel. I had a huge misunderstanding of Jesus's view over my life. And as Matt's saying, like, you know, sin is rebellion. And so there were certain things that like, all of a sudden it was just like, you just wanted to put them out in the front. I do these things as a way to, it was almost like, it wasn't even that I wanted to rebel against God. It was that I wanted to rebel against this whole Christian culture that I'd grown up in. And it was this, it was this kind of misplaced rebellion. And I think the whole thing for me anyway, and I don't, I can't speak to the person that, that you're, that you're watching in your life. I think for the whole thing for me came down to this sense of belonging. Mm. There was this, I, I, I just felt this, you know, this kind of thing of like, I'm missing out on a lot of uh, huge swaths of, of what life is. And I want to sense that I belong there somewhere. And I, I don't think that it could be that people know exactly what they're doing and they're just trying to be cool and hipstery, you know, about, you know, look how much I cuss and look how much whiskey I drink and, you know, blah, 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 whatever. What, you know, maybe that's their deal. For other people, it may be a sense of like, I'm trying to understand who I am, where the gospel is, what my sense of what it means to be forgiven and what it means to still be this person that's struggling with my own, you know, inner person and everything like that. St- accepted by Jesus and everything. And I'm looking for who I really am and what is belonging and what is the gospel and what's the difference between the church and the gospel. And especially young people, this is a difficult thing to parse out. And so the thing that I would say on this is, as you're watching somebody in your life like this, um, I would say, you know, treat them with some tenderness because they may not know the motivation behind all this stuff. Um, we're all trying to figure out where we fit and we're all trying to figure out who we are. And some of this stuff is I'm rebelling against what I grew up in. I'm rebelling against this. I'm rebelling against that because I'm trying to figure out who I am, where I fit and stuff like that. And I would say, you know, a lot of this comes out in the wash and a lot of people fall down a whole lot on this and then they figure out who they are. They find a lot of security in Christ and then they realize what is the cultural stuff, exactly as Jed's saying, what's the cultural stuff I want to dump and what is the essentials of what it means to know Christ, to be known by God, to be someone who lives with him, walks with him, serves him, and is, by the way, still a gigantic sinner who needs to be forgiven, you know, day to day, all the time kind of deal. And so I think that the the thing that I would suggest is to, to treat a person like this with a whole lot of mercy, um, knowing that the, you know, the chances are good. They're trying to figure out what what does Jesus have to do with what I was raised on? What does he not have to do with any of that? And where do I fit in the whole in, in the whole mess of that? I think it's absolutely right. You've heard a lot of good perspectives on this, and I'll give you uh, toss you out kind of one more and a kind of an overall principle here. Um, I've had this question uh, asked me by people about kind of um, Christian personalities, like be that kind of uh, podcasters, YouTube people, maybe even authors and whatever. And there's this idea of there's kind of a it's it's a cultural pushback. If you if you're around long enough, you'll see kind of these things kind of ebb and flow. But that that kind of bad Christian, naughty Christian thing is almost a bit of branding. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you may have noticed on the show we do that a little bit. We sure. uh, Glenn will often refer to all of us as naughty little monkeys. Right. He's because a he's not wrong. Um, but b we we do that intentionally because that is as all these guys are talking about. We're trying to signal something about the way we see the world, the way we see ourselves, by extension, the way we're going to see you when you come to us with problems. And that, that's born out of the ministry we do up in Chicago with uh, prisoners and gangbangers and what uh, Lee does with young people. It's very much similar in that. If you have to kind of put out on Front Street, uh, this is not a judgy place. This right. is right. 
That's exactly right. We're all kind of a mess. And that, so if you're getting, if it's that kind of thing where, especially as I think one of the guiding principles we at this is if they're kind, if people are kind of taking the air out of and making fun of the idea of being a quote unquote bad Christian, that can be a very positive thing. The, the flip side of that, as we've talked a little about here, if people are real serious about their sin one way or the other, that can be that can lead to something a little more problematic. But there's nothing wrong with being almost casual about the fact that uh, we're all sinners. That can be right. super helpful. Again, the thing you want to look out for is if someone is um, really trying to make that a real narrative and a thing and brand, and I won't use any names, but there's a very uh, popular megachurch pastor recently who stepped down from his job because of uh, alcoholism. Right. And that's a sad thing. We work with addicts all the time. That's that's not a laughing matter, and I'm not accusing them of anything, but um, he still posts on the church Facebook a lot and is writing articles for places, and you can see them sowing the seeds of this comeback narrative right. about how he the darkness and he led into the thing, and I never did things I never believed I would. And, you know, again, not judging the guy because alcoholism is a terrible thing. And I, I would never dream of kind of saying ill of how any addict is working through the recovery. But that's a, a kind of I was a bad Christian thing that hit my ear a little weird mm-hmm. because this is someone playing up right, right. how right. M- massive and majestic their sin is mm-hmm. to kind of define them. The flip side of that and the more positive say, which we, we try to do and we encourage other people to do is to, um, as Glenn's put it many times in conversation, okay, you're a sinner. Now what? Right. Let's talk about the other stuff. Let's, let's focus on right. righteousness. Let's focus on fun. Let's not. Right. Uh, the one I want to look out for, and I would want people to look out for, especially in kind of media stuff, is that um, using the kind of quote unquote bad Christian thing to be another way to make everything about sin. Right. That can be problematic. But as we're saying here, if this is uh, just using this as a casual way to move on from the sin, that that can be great. So yeah. as in a lot of these th- things, it depends on some tone and some ways you're looking at. And if you have specific examples you want to email in us, we can we can help you take a look at that and figure out where we're coming from. All right, we're going to jump to our final question here. It comes into our Tumblr inbox, and it says, I've been depressed recently. I've been trying to get back into the Word for help. I began by reading in Isaiah 53, and it just didn't make sense to me. And I think that spoke to a larger thing, because when my depression hit, I tried seeking the Lord, but I never felt his peace. I felt like it was what you might call a long-distance relationship. It felt that way. It's like he's there, but not there at the same time. It was heartbreaking, and I could really use some peace right now to get over this. So what do I do? And Jed, can you start us off? Sure. My friend, I'm sorry you're hurting. We love you, we believe in you, and we're sorry for what you're going through. Uh, we're praying for you, and um, if there are other ways we, that we can help, uh, send us a note. We want to. We've got your back. Um, let's not worry about Isaiah for a second. Uh, let's just talk about you and your life. So uh, depression is and, and can be a complex thing, and the, the first step in dealing with depression is to go to the doctor. Uh, depression on some level is a medical condition. And if you're dealing with that, um, the Bible is good, but going to the doctor is super good. So we want right. to, we want to start there. You can do both. Read the Bible in the waiting room. Exactly right. But, but <laughs> super duper though, go to the doctor. That's, that's really super key important. But here's, here's what's, what's almost certainly gonna happen is 
you're going to find that there, there may be some chemical factors in terms of the chemistry in your brain that have to do with the depression you're experiencing, and there are some, some medical options available for that, and your doctor can discuss all that with you. But there may also be some non-chemical factors in your life that are driving that. Let me, let me give you an example. If you have a job that you hate and that saps your will to live and is awful and terrible and depressing, then it's not a stretch to wonder why you might be depressed. Right. It could be a factor. Right, right. Um, there are certainly cases where people have lives that are just fine and dandy, and you know, depression is just, it's 100% a chemical thing. You know, it's just, that's, mm. that's long and short of it. Well, it can also certainly be the case that, um, and it's very often the case that people have certain tendencies Absolutely toward right. depression, which different levels of things set off, which is another really good thing a counselor or doctor can help you uh, identify for yourself. Exactly right. Exactly right. In either case, the odds are high that there are some non-chemical factors in your life as well. There's some environmental factors in your life. There are some changes that you would do well to make mm-hmm. about different aspects of your life. That might have to do with your job or your school situation. might have to do with relationships in your life, family members, um, you know, loved ones, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. But here's the thing about being depressed is you don't want to make any changes. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been depressed, and th- when I'm depressed, the last thing in the world I want to do is anything, right. much less mm-hmm. something hard. Right. I, right. I don't. I don't want to do anything, and I mm-hmm. definitely don't want to make any changes. Uh, maybe you're like me. Well, if that's the case, then the thing that we actually need is not so much the Lord's peace. We need the Lord's strength because mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. we do need to make those changes. Right. Um, because there's healing and there's joy and there's peace waiting on the other side of them, but we, we do need to, to make the changes. And so that's actually about seeking the Lord's strength and seeking his courage in order to make those tough changes that we need to make. It's a broader issue that Christians often get the order of operations backwards on things. They often seek God's peace to put up with a situation that God doesn't want them to put up with. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that might be the case for you here. Mm-hmm. Um, the good news is, if you've got the courage to be honest that you're depressed, and if you've got the courage to, to write into us, then you definitely have the courage to go to your doctor, and you have the courage to begin looking at what changes need to be made in your life. And if you've got the courage to do those things, then you have the courage to take the next step, and the step after that, and step after that. The future that's before you is bright, but it does involve leaning into making some changes, including the change to, to go to your doctor. So that's about getting strength and getting courage, starting with those resources from the Lord and then moving on from there. I think that's absolutely right. I think that's a fantastic place to start. And Leah, I'd love to get you to kind of look at, let's let's bring the Bible part back into this, because I think it will be an important part of kind of going on. Take if you start out as a person of faith, and then you kind of go through these things, it can be surprising in maybe the way you hear some people talk about kind of comfort, uh, the peace of God the person mentions, and comfort from Scripture. But as Jed is pointing out, there are uh, chemical and environmental factors about depression. And one of the things they do is put a nice gray filter over yeah. everything. Yeah. And that includes the Bible. So, and even without outside of the uh, the kind of view of depression, when we're going to the Bible and it's, we're just not feeling like it's clicking, what are some kind of tips and ideas to kind of uh, maybe change strategy or go back to it? Or how can we kickstart this whole thing? Well, I think that one of the things that 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 just kind of holds a lot of people up um, in in just trying to figure out, you know, how do I how do I get something out of the scriptures for myself is that we have, and this is this is like uh, every Christian at every kind of level of spiritual growth, 
we have terrible expectations for how that process is going to work. And what I mean by that is, you know, you hear people talking about their, you know, they Instagram their quiet time or whatever. You hear people talk about what, you know, what it means to get into the scriptures and spend time with Jesus and and what the payout on that thing is going to be. And so people assume that if I'm a good Christian, then what I do is I sit down and I open up the Bible in a coffee shop. And then, I don't know if you guys know this, but the heavens open Whoa. and all of my problems disappear. Dang, wow. that's amazing. Immediately. And I don't mean to be cheeky on that. This this is actually what people you know, people say, well, I tried that and um, I didn't get anything out of it and nothing happened. Um, and it's like, oh, well, that means that somebody, you know, somebody sold you some terrible expectations on how this process works. And so the, the the thing that I would say is that we need to think about, you know, this this idea. I love I love the way that you said in the in your question that it feels like your relationship with God is like a long distance relationship. That is such a cool that's such a cool thing that you kind of recognize that and and what I would say is let's start there. Let's start with the long distance relationship. And say like, all right, well, how would I carry on a long distance relationship with somebody that I'm really, really into and I really want to make this work? Well, the thing that you would do is you would decide how can we communicate best and I don't want to give up on it. And and then you would talk to somebody about what are what are our expectations? If I was in a long distance relationship with somebody, I'm not going to expect to see them every day all day. And that's and we want to start with the same thing as you're starting to try to figure out how to read scripture. Now, I would say this, and this is just kind of a real super practical thing. And um, you, you might not hear this kind of thing much because people don't suggest it. People usually just tell you, well, here's some, here's, you know, a bible thing to do and off you go and have great expectations. It's going to change your life. You'll never be the same again. And then we get super frustrated on that. And here's what I would say is find somebody who's a little further along. Find somebody who loves the Bible. Find somebody who knows how to get into that Bible and get something out of it and just say, Hey, I want to I want to kind of sidle up next to you and 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 uh, and learn how to do this. So, could we read some scripture together and then talk about it? Just that simple. Maybe you do that for you know twenty minutes here and there before class or something like that. Maybe you do that on a phone call. Find somebody that's farther ahead than you and start to do this a little bit at a time together. Because here's the thing about the Bible. It's super huge. It's super intimidating. It's got a lot of words that you don't know. It's got a lot of cultural stuff you don't understand. And so can we just say it makes sense that when you go there, you don't get a lot out of it. You're not bad and you don't suck for having a frustrating time there. And so let's find somebody that's a little bit further ahead and and say, hey, can you help me just kind of come alongside me and show me how to do this? And let's have some, it's the same way that like, I would never just like buy a set of golf clubs and go out on the golf course and then just expect to be awesome at it. I would find somebody who's awesome at it and that I know, and I would say, hey, show me which way is up, like which side of this club do I hold? Where do I put my hands? How do I, I know there's something with my feet. Am I doing this the right way? We do it a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time with expectations that those first few times out on the golf course, I'm going to massively suck at this and that's okay. 
And we're just going to do this a lot, a little bit at a time, and do this together. I think that Jed's exactly right. As far as the, the main element that we want to look at here is the depression and how can we get some, make some moves on this. But as far as the Bible itself, let's change our expectations and then let's find somebody that really, really digs it and come alongside, have them come alongside you and see if we can start to get, get your feet under you on, on how the scripture actually works day to day. That's really, really good stuff. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to close this out by kind of building on that specifically in that let's let's look at the the passage our friend mentions here in Isaiah 53. I think that's a good example of what uh, we're talking about here in that um, it would be easy, as Lee's talking about, to read that thing about, you know, all, his, all our transgressions are taken and all this is put on him and Jesus is mm-hmm. suffering, so we don't have to suffer, and think, but I still feel bad. Right. So clearly I'm not doing this right because this is a whole passage about how I shouldn't feel bad. Yeah. If you have a certain, as Jeb was mentioned, if you have some certain factors going into that, yeah. it's really not what this passage is about and not right. what, if we, if you were sitting down with someone who was suffering through depression and talking about Isaiah 53 with them, that's not the point you would even want them to try to get, so they can't be missing yes. it. That's correct. Uh, the uh, I, Isaiah 53 is uh, a prophetic uh, part of the Bible. So this is Old Testament. That's before Jesus is born. And it's quite a little bit before he's born. And this is a, a, a prophecy that is a, a telling a future event about Jesus. So this is Isaiah talking about what's going to happen to Jesus when Jesus gets here, and he's getting that word from God himself. And um, you, you can read it for yourself, or maybe reread it after I give you this explanation, but the the thing that we read about there is uh, Jesus uh, uh, will not be uh, handsome. He will not be the kind of person everyone thinks is cool. He will not be the kind of person everybody agrees with. Uh, he will not be the kind of person that everybody wants to follow and think is uh, super cool. Uh, it, this is a guy who will be abandoned and will will suffer alone and, and, and die uh, for us being totally and utterly rejected. I think if we're looking for why perhaps maybe someone sent you to that verse is a uh, uh, to recognize that no matter how we are suffering, Christ can understand it because He suffered in in ways that we are not, and and cannot. That's not in any way to diminish your suffering either. I mean, at, at some point, it's apples and oranges, and suffering is suffering. So it's not about more or less. It's just simply saying He's familiar with suffering. The second thing, perhaps, to get out of that is. If if Christ would, you, 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 I, I'm like Lee. I picked up on the long distance element of this, and I think it's a really vivid and good description. If you and I were having a counseling session, I would I would say that's a really good share. I like a good share. You know, somebody who really gets in touch with their feelings and lays it out. You also like scoring the things people tell you during counseling sessions. That, that's correct. Uh, that 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 would actually be at least an A minus share. That's pretty right good. There. I've never got an A minus share from Glenn. No, definitely not. Um, so <laughs> here's here's the thing, is uh, I like the long distance element, but I think uh, the point of this verse to you should be that if ever Christ was going to go away from us and abandon us and 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 create some distance from us, 
it would have been when he's being physically tortured in front of his own mother and killed. Uh, if he if he faced that and went through it and chose to endure that for you and I, that means whatever we've done, whoever we are, no matter how lovable we are, how no matter how lovable we are not, uh, no matter how much our life stinks or whatever, he's not intimidated by that. He's not overwhelmed by that. He's not uh, walking away from us. Uh, and I think the final point on this is, is realized with depression, uh, it, it really is sort of a two-pronged thing. In other words, we need to go towards God in order to get healing, but there is there does need to be, with depression, a simultaneous choice to no longer, sort of speak, drink the poison of that depression. Depression is something we, we uh, can be in a cycle of. We can wallow in that. We can get... M- Stuck in the everybody loves a good wallow. Mm. Oh, I do. I mean, if you get me good and 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 down in the dumps of feeling sorry for myself, it's hard for me to come out from that because sure. it's just a cyclical thing. It, it 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 we go deeper and deeper. It's a downward spiral. But we have to make a choice to not pursue that to to as much as we can as we embrace a solution. Both kind of at the same time. Now, yeah, you're going to have thoughts of depression. Somewhat, and yes, this solution that you're applying won't fix everything all at once right at the beginning, as, as these other brothers were pointing out. But it, but I need to make both of those choices to, to not drink the poison, but also to engage myself in the cure. I think you're absolutely right, and I think um, if, if, you're, if you are a person of faith, the Bible can be a big part of that in ways we talked about. And I'm going to steal something directly from Lee and his boss here, which is one of the things you can do when you're in a a funky mindset as we're putting it here that is going to color everything you you read and intake is go to the Bible not so much for emotional comfort in the moment because that's as Lee is saying that's probably not the greatest expectation if you are super uh, down in the dumps but look for things that are true mm. whether you feel them or not look for the things the Bible says about you as Glenn points out if you read through Isaiah 53 looking for something the Bible an encouraging thing the Bible told you you would find that uh, Jesus identifies and will never leave you no matter how bad things get. Right. That's very encouraging. You, mm-hmm. you, you probably won't uh, close that book and then go out into the world with a song in your heart and a skip in your step. Right. Because, so you know, right. you're reading about torture and you're depressed, but right. that's a thing you can take and move on to the next thing. Yeah. So yes. A very good, a very good tip that I picked up from uh, Lee and Tom, and uh, you can combine that with all these guys have said. So if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We're going to take you out this week with a uh, a hymn that our friend Eric Peters recorded for us, which I think has, has a lot to do with this. It's a fantastic song, and Eric chose uh, to record a really cool version of it that uh, Jed and Lee both helped him out with recording, and our friend Zach Hughes down there in Nashville. But it's, uh, It ties a, exactly to what we're talking about in the, the last question here. It's a song called Come You Disconsolate, which has one of the uh, great, for, me, for, for my money, and kind of the history of Christian thought and songs and writing, one of the kind of great rejoinders of a thing that's true, which is, uh, here bring your wounded heart, here tell your anguish, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. So if you take nothing else from it, remember that as you go into next week. And uh, thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Coming this holiday season, Jason Statham in World War on Christmas. It's not happy holidays. <laughs> you know what I mean?